Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. We've got a great episode on tap for you today. Really the gold standard in early stage cannabis investors, Poseidon Asset Management, Emily and Morgan. They were on the show about a year ago and we had a quick catch up with them about what they've invested in the last year. Follow on rounds with Headset and Dope Magazine as well as new stuff with HR platform Work and more about hemp. It's gonna be a huge industry and it's a great episode. Thanks again to Gateway for having us over here and letting us use their office. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Are you looking to start a cannabis company? Do you need office space? It's really hard and it's really expensive. So Gateway has started Gateway Works, which is just a co-working space specifically for the cannabis industry. You can rent a desk, I think it's 300 bucks for the month, and take advantage of this awesome community and glean the energy and the knowledge from all the other companies. You gotta check it out. Friends, so good to see you again. Emily, Morgan, great to have you back on the show. I think it's been a year or so, maybe a little more. Everyone has changed quite a bit, but let's get into it. So one week before the now historic election, I interviewed Troy Dayton, and he told me that everybody is waiting to put money into this industry, that everybody's waiting till after the election, and come December, there's this wave of cash coming in. Is that happening? Let's start with Emily. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a mixed bag of events since the election. Obviously, we had an historic night for the cannabis industry with eight of the nine initiatives passing. Uh, and it was passing nationwide. So we now have coverage of adult use from the East Coast all the way through to the West Coast. And we added Florida to all of that, which is the, a massive market. Um, so yes, there was some investor exuberance around that. And actually leading up to it, there was a lot of investor frothiness, yeah, as yeah. we say. Um, and I'll let him speak to that a little frothiness, bit. Frothiness, I like frothiness, that. Frothiness, yeah. <laughs> um, but then there was this thing that occurred where uh, Sessions was appointed as a potential attorney mm -hmm. general. And as our policy leader, Rob Campia says, he's about a 1.5 on a scale of one to five, where five would be a good choice. Unfortunately, the other runners up were no better. So this appears to be kind of the situation that we're in. And um, so I think that kind of tampered a little bit of the exuberance. Uh, rightly so. I think people are kind of in a let's observe and see what this new administration is going to do. Um, so Speaking of the new administration, how much of this is any conservative administration would have been bad for cannabis? And how much is it Trump's administration is bad for cannabis? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the industry was clearly in, in the Hillary camp uh, because it was more of a just a known path, mm -hmm. right? And now we're kind of venturing into this a bit of an unknown. Mm -hmm. And that was that was the concern around Trump in general was just he's an unknown, right? Because it's really hard to understand his position one way or another. Um, one tweet to the next could be, you know, completely different. So um, and that's what's playing out. And I don't know if it was a, if a different administration, I guess we probably have a little more sense, but you know, we're kind of living in this wild card world right now. And um, you know, we were talking about the other day is there's, there's just a war on, on facts, right? And it's trying to understand um, what's real, what's actually the case, or are we, you know, is what's being said not actually going to happen? So yeah, how much is fear? How much is reality? I mean, it certainly seems to be a potential wrench in the cannabis plan. I think everybody was really excited. One in five Americans now live in a place with some marijuana legislation, but 
that can all be kind of washed away in a way, right? I mean, everybody's going to be fearful, particularly investors. I mean, how much is that a part of the conversation with people that you look to raise money from? Yeah, I think it's a big part of the conversation, but our job is to demystify and separate the, the hype, the fear from the actual information that's relevant to the investing landscape. And, and for us, it's just a big part of our strategy is to be tapped into these policy groups and and to pay homage to those people that really help us to pave the way for these mm-hmm. these laws to change. But about the conservative thing, it, it has been an issue that's been represented on both sides of the aisle, which is a good thing, I think, for the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, for the state's rights and business interests alone, it makes a, a great deal of sense to keep this m- momentum going forward. And not to mention, if we turn it back, we're going to let Canada just run away with this prize. Yeah, Canada's. So. Boy, yeah, Adam's no, that was a couple down, but let's talk about Canada. <laughs> Super interesting. Um, you know, there is a big public play in Canada. In the pub- I read a, a Mattermark article yesterday where you were quoted, actually, uh, and it said that even though all the hype comes from the private market and from venture, uh, the money to be made is in the Canadian public market. Is that true? You think that's true? Well, this year has certainly been a very positive year. Um, the one thing that's the big difference between Canada and the United States is they actually have access to the public markets mm-hmm. in a much more functioning way. I mean, it still is very early stage up there. Most of these companies are either on the CSC, which has very light regulations and, and listing requirements, or the TSX uh, Venture Exchange, or the Toronto Stock Exchange's venture, uh, which again is not as tightly regulated as uh, a listed exchange like the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, but you're seeing massive amounts of capital being raised uh, relative to our industry. And uh, so these, these businesses, mostly licensed producers so far, have been accessing that and raising significant capital. Because there's uh, a limited number of licenses too. Like there's only like 36 or so I think I read, yep. which of course increases each one of their values pretty drastically. Exactly, yeah. So if you were to do a market equivalent, uh, take Canada with 36 producers, to California with something like 53,000 producers. You're talking about fewer but larger uh, opportunity in, in Canada. And that's that's just kind of the way Canada likes to do things anyway, much more of a, a regulated marketplace uh, or fewer but larger they prefer. Um, but it's, it is starting to, uh, the mix is, is getting deeper up there, which is, is good to see other types of businesses accessing public markets up there and still raising pretty healthy amounts of capital. So it's it has been a, a good place for um, open market investors or, or investors that have done private investing and have seen their um, shares become liquid and, and making, I mean, this year we've seen, you know, two to five X returns up in, in Canada and in some of our companies. Canopy specifically, right? Uh, uh, and Aurora has done pretty well in the public market, but which, which one were you referring to? Oh, uh, well, Canopy definitely gets the headline because yeah. they were the first across a billion dollar yeah. market cap. Um, but we've been longtime shareholders of Afria. Um, mm-hmm. That was from the outset. That was the one we chose, given its low-cost production capabilities. Got it. Um, really embracing that f- uh, from day one, and having the existing background of being large-scale um, agricultural producers, uh, just making that switch to cannabis. Um, but you know, or- Aurora claims to be one that's going to be absolutely massive in production. Uh, they have ways to catch up, um, but. It'll, it'll be interesting to see because Aurora and Canopy are kind of just going for we're the biggest, we're the mm. best mm. approach. And there will definitely be some shakeout in Canada. But uh, for now, the the public markets have been very liquid, deep, um, with solid investor bases. Mm-hmm. Really very different to the United States where 
most of it is in the OTC markets, thinly traded, lots of abuse, yep. um, just low quality um, shareholders too, not really savvy, um, which you're seeing is not translated to Canada. And how much do you think about getting involved? I mean, I know you own that that particular stock, but do you think, hey, like we could transition and do more public market stuff, or you're still really focused on the on the venture side? Um, we have we have another holding up in Canada that hasn't yet um, gone public, mm -hmm. and um, so we are. Well, here's your chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so we're and we're st so we're still building that out very judiciously. I think that one thing I worry about is that people think it's a sure bet any right. one of those LP licensed producers would be a sure bet, but there are so many fundamental factors to consider. But mm -hmm. I think one of the things we're looking at is how our ancillary companies in the United States that are technology, business technology solutions, software solutions, B2C, uh, data analytics, how all of that can apply to this market, and especially if they do, which they are slated to open up the adult use in the spring up in Canada, I think all of this will become incredibly relevant mm -hmm. to them as they really shift over to not just a medical program, but to now we need to address a consumer market just like any other industry. Yep. Um, so I think that so that's what we're looking at for uh, opportunities for our companies is how to expand across the border. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, okay. I was going to say just one, um, you know, Emily makes a really good point about um, just the market um, in general there is, is uh, you know, a lot of this, uh, the prices today are, are mm -hmm. pricing in already uh, just the outright legalization. So, you know, it wouldn't take much uh, to take the wind out of their sails, you know, to, mm -hmm. to kind of squash some of the momentum up there right. um, if there's any step back in, in the rollout of the legalization. Uh, because everyone is, you know, scrambling to build as much capacity as they can because they think they're going to just have unbelievable amounts of demand. Well, what happens if that doesn't? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we just, we, you know, we definitely tread very cautiously in general. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's just a, a one thing that we would, make sure people are just, you know, just can't go in blindly and assume that you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, how much of the premium is in the value of it just being cannabis and just being new versus how quality these companies are, how quality these investments are? Any idea how to sort of, I don't know, measure that in, in any way? Sure. Uh, well, if you look up in the Canadian market, it's, uh, if you look at the types of companies you can invest in or the sectors, uh, they've been really beat up. You know, the mining sectors, um, gold, um, oil, that's a lot of what their markets, their public markets uh, offer. And since this has been so depressed, all their investors are, see a new opportunity, right? So there's definitely a crowding of that uh, and valuations that are very hard to justify today. Sure. Um, so, you know, if, if say oil were to come back for whatever reason, I'm not saying that it, it is, um, but if it were, and then all of a sudden the oil stocks up there were to start booming again, if that supply demand shifts and some of the investor focus gets pulled away, that'll certainly pull some of that supply that's been pushing up these stock prices. Got it. So shifting gears a little bit, back to your portfolio for mm -hmm. a second. So we haven't talked in about a year, so tell me some of the stuff that you've been investing in. You know, what, what's the segments that you're excited about right now? Uh, one of the ones that we most, we've actually been adding on to some of our existing investments that okay. are performing well, uh, demonstrating that they're hitting their key metrics and, and carrying on from there. So um, after seeing that, we've been leading a couple of rounds um, after that early convertible or KISS or uh, what's it called, safe round. Mm -hmm. Now they're doing a price round in the series seed. So yeah. that's been great to see. 
Um, but we have. And these we are like Trative headset. What are you falling on both headset of those? Headset would be one headset. that we've added okay. on to. And that one was very recent and really exciting because they've been really showing some amazing yeah, they're things. They're crushing it. Yeah. They're so it, yeah. and I just can't wait to see what the future holds for what they're going to reveal about consumer behavior in yeah. the cannabis industry. And then what's the structure of that? Is it a separate fund for follow-on? Is that how it works, or all the same? Right now, because it's still relatively early stage, it's the same fund. But the thing mm -hmm. we're thinking about. And Morgan and I have been talking about what's next for this industry, and and for those later stage investments, we'll probably have a one VC fund kind of strategically mm -hmm. carved out to focus on some of those winners that we feel like are ready for those big late stage checks. So, got it. So headset f followed on yep. anything else from previously? Uh, Baker, yeah, they um, they just filed a form D uh, at the end of last month, and that was, you know, we that Baker is. Was it's been really great to watch them. Um, you know, we Emily f has been talking with them. I, I mean, she's two and a half years at least, mm -hmm. and, and just and they got into five hundred startups, and you know, just a really solid core founding team. Mm -hmm. And just watching them go from three founders to almost twenty people now, and going you know into a hundred and fifty plus. You know, just dispensaries, just really rolling out and scaling up. Is that the main metric? Just how many dispensaries you can be installed in in the beginning? Is that the most, the best metric? Uh, GMV, GMV, monthly recurring MRR. revenue. Yeah. yeah, there are a couple. It and good question because it does depend on the company. Sure. But yeah. we do. I we like that monthly recurring revenue. That's everybody yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, the yeah. dispensary numbers are important because market yeah. share is important. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, we all. I think the industry all knows that market share. I mean, in every industry, right? Market share matters. Yeah. Um, but you know, those that are doing it right and offering a good solution set that is a true benefit to the to their consumer or their customer, um, you know, you're just seeing the market starting to adopt those. And yeah. I, you know, Baker's hitting that pretty well. And uh, you know, their their Thanksgiving Day was it Cyber Monday or or, mm -hmm. or first it was Green Friday and then Cyber Monday. I mean, they got they had a lot of press around just how much transaction activity was happening around there. Yeah. Awesome. And their platform scale beautifully and no problems. Awesome. Um, and then just a couple other, we did an industrial hemp processing uh, technology. So, so this is new stuff, That's right? a new one, new yeah. Stuff, yeah. So, and um, that's pretty exciting because that's a part of the market not many people are really thinking too much about. Yeah, nobody thinks about hemp. What's the value of hemp? I mean, is that gonna be, how many multiples bigger than, <coughs> than THC and psychoactive stuff? It just has so many end uses that it it's really incredible. And I think the thing that most people don't give it enough credit for is it's not your like spring break hemp necklace with a seashell on it. It's <laughs> it's actually <laughs> like carbon nanotechnologies that can replace the graphite um, graphene battery in your phone. Wow! So there's things like that that are being uh, studied in in the university level. At PhDs are studying the uses of vast fibers such as hemp, yeah. and um, this is this stands to be a really a, a game-changing fiber in our world. And several uh, companies have started to take note that cotton is really difficult to cultivate. It's not sustainable. Bamboo is a, a terrible greenwashing thing that is really actually not very sustainable from a fiber standpoint. But something like hemp really is, and I think that's the fiber of our future. We just haven't figured out how to um, how to really refine it the right way yet, mm. and this technology stands to be that solution. So that's Very really cool. exciting. So yeah. that's the one that you invested in, the one that's experimenting with cell phone batteries? Uh, well, they're basically, th it's almost, we like to think of it as the toll road. It refines things to the point where it can go to that next process where it can be used in graphene, it can be used um, for plastics, for 3D printing, it can be used for 
fibers for clothing and other things like that. So there's 25,000 end uses of yeah. industrial hemp. Wow. It's amazing. So, yeah, we got to do a hemp episode, Eric. We got to yeah. do it. We got to do some hemp stuff. We have yeah. some people you can talk yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I was uh, going to so a lot of the, so what they start processing, and then you have these different R&D kind of facilities that are buying from us to do their, their testing. But um, I was, uh, down in, uh, was it Redwood City, I guess, yep. a couple weeks ago at a talk with Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia. Uh -huh. And he made, you know, obviously he's very focused on the environment and trying to do as much sustainable um, practices as he can in his own business. And he did say that hemp is the best fiber for textiles. Mm. And we just need to get that figured out. Mm. Um, and it's really cool, the early indications that we're seeing from this processing technology that we've invested in. Now we just need the farmers to get the right strains um, to start really growing good fiber quality. And how much um, of a cotton lobby is there? There must be a pretty significant opposition there. I mean, that's a pretty long road, isn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah so it, it is one of those things that uh, requires more patience and mm -hmm. foresight, I think. And that's why I don't think it gets as much interest mm. as many of the other ones. Plus, it doesn't get you high. Well, <laughs> right. you know, just isn't just as good in a headline, yeah, right? Just exactly. isn't as good in a headline. It's definitely not as good of a headline, but it's it's the sleeping giant. Everybody's yeah. asleep yeah. already now that we've just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else is new? What else have you guys invested in in the yeah. last? Uh, payroll services, HR payroll services. Yeah. So uh, Work, which is a graduate of the Canopy um, you know, they, uh, again, really solid founder mm -hmm. uh, team and, uh, and a major unmet need. I mean, you know, one of the pain points we continue to hear were we just got set up on ADP, two weeks later we're dropped. Mm -hmm. And so, and how disruptive is that to your business when you're, you know, just amongst all the other challenges we face in this industry, if you can't have at least consistency in, in some aspects, um, and, you know, they're hitting that. And, and not only hitting the, the solution of payroll services, but understanding tracking needs for say 280E or, or challenges around hourly employment needs. Uh, so a lot of the pain points and a lot of the friction of uh, HR services in the cannabis industry. And so again, solid team, solid technology, scaling up really nicely. Got so. it, yeah. You brought up Canopy. We're in Gateway Incubator right yes. now. They were nice enough to give us their space for the day. How valuable are incubators to you guys? I mean, is that good deal flow? How closely do you watch the classes? You know, I mean, how involved are you? Well, it's nice because we sit at the point where we are and we get to kind of see what comes through the classes. Um, we're big fans of the work that Gateway is doing, too, and it's yep. great that they're here in Oakland cultivating the startup culture in the Bay Area around cannabis. Um, so I, we think it's incredibly valuable because in general, having these incubators in the industry is raising the bar for how these companies are doing their entity formation, getting their docs together, preparing to take investment dollars. Mm -hmm. and. You know, someone like Keegan from work, it was one of the first times that someone sent me an entire due diligence of uh, email with all the things that basically we have on our checklist you would have asked they had anyway, prepared yeah. for. Yeah. So it was that was a moment where I was like, wow, things are really progressing in yeah. this industry from an investment standpoint. Well, that's exactly what the incubator is supposed to do, yeah. is set you up nicely for that. Exactly. Um, so there's this kind of perspective going around now. I've heard Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful, say it, that he'll only invest in female founders, that they're, they make the best founders and that their companies are more successful. How much do you think about that? Females or minorities or anything like that? Well, I think Kevin should call me because um, <laughs> I'm a female founder. Um, no, um, we do think about that all the time. And actually, when I look at our founders, we have a, a nice range of diversity within the portfolio. I'd like to see more female founders, and we are actually talking with a couple 
of groups that are a little early for, they're not quite ready to take investment dollars, but that's partially why I'm talking to them is so that down the line they, they, will, be, they will be ready. I want to mm -hmm. make sure they're a, pre a prepared company to take mm -hmm. investment. Um, and I do think that female founders are incredibly uh, diligent about their work and they hate to fail. So mm. um, they're not, <laughs> sometimes men can be cavalier about failing in mm. their businesses mm. uh, and they're just on to the next project. But I think that women really uh, hold it close to their hearts. So. Yeah, well, I think sometimes the best founders have like a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Mm, yes. Like they're going to prove somebody wrong. And I think that's certainly happening with female founders. Like, yeah, I'm a woman, but I'm going to show you how I'm going to crush you anyway, yeah. right? Like that's. That's definitely a real thing. Interesting that that's part of the evaluation, though, at least in small part. Anyway. Yeah, we definitely think about that um, yeah. because it is different. Different people from different backgrounds have a uh, different lens through which they see business, so it's really helpful. Got it. Let's look forward a little bit. Um, I think last time we talked, you were working with about a $10 million bank account that you were investing in. Mm -hmm. What's the next round look like? You know, where do those LPs come from? How much are you looking for? What's the what's the next step for Poseidon? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, what we're seeing is uh, basically the when you're asking before about capital flow, uh, going into, let's call it September, the, the swimming pool was maybe three inches deep, right? So we still have a long way to fill it up to really think about what real capitalized industry looks like. Mm -hmm. um, certainly say that the spigots opened up quite a bit more, but still is largely individuals, um, family offices, um, partners. Angels still. Yeah, the angels, the angels still, yeah. Um, family offices, um, partners of venture capital funds or partners of uh, Private equity funds, or even um, executives at, at investment banks. I mean, we you know we're getting more and more capital from, um, but it's still individuals, and uh, and it's just a challenge of uh, the regulations and and or vice clauses, and yeah. so. But at the least, it having more and more people, more and more eyeballs in these in these institutions, actually writing checks. Um, gives us a lot of confidence about the future for capital flow. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're trying to definitely position ourselves to be you know, some of the first institutional capital that really comes to the industry, um, given now that we'll have three-year track record, um, you know, invested in so many different aspects of the industry. Um, How many investments at this point? Done 35 to date. We have 26 Got in the portfolio. And that's so. in a two-year period or so, right? How long are you guys? Almost, Almost three. three. Yeah. Got it. Very, very cool. Thanks. Yeah. So it's yeah. So we're, when we're looking at 2017, I don't think the institutional capital will come yet. Okay. But at least we're talking about a much more significant pool. And even you know, obviously sessions um, took a pause for some people, but because the pool went back to swim pool, you know, it's filled up quite a bit more. That you know, they may take a little while. They're going to hang out in the in the kiddie pool yeah. and for a little bit, but yeah. they're they're coming. Well, the sessions thing kind of cuts both ways. I mean, as a whole, yes, it makes it more risky. Uh, but in another way, because it makes it more risky, it makes the dollars going in even that much more valuable, yes. right? I mean, people must acknowledge that to some extent too. Like, ah, shit, I better get in now while other people are still scared. Yeah. Do, you, do you find that? That's a great, yeah. I mean, one of the things, again, back to the fall was, uh, you know, we saw a lot of bad deal structures getting funded because there was just capital coming without regard. They just wanted to get in before elections. Mm. Yeah. And so, for example, some private companies were raising in a common stock uh, structure and for, for us it's just a no-go and mm. and so you know now kind of having that just because the, they can 
They could. Yeah. There was enough money out there that wanted it, and yeah. Yeah, and this is some, in general, I'd like to see more in the industry where investors help other investors to make sure that we work together to create the best deal structure for the company so that the investors have a potential to see a return, but also so that the company can continue to raise money right. wisely down the line. Got it. And sometimes right. when there's that exuberance, people rush in, they either they inflate the valuations to a point where it shouldn't be, and then it ends up, we're already seeing some down rounds now because of that, and or we're seeing structures that are not amenable to future raising of capital. And so those are important factors to keep in mind. We're really looking for investors to help work together to make sure these structures are sound. So. Yeah, the thing that I hear from founders all the time is, oh, I got so many people that want to invest in me, but I can't find that lead investor Yeah. Yet. How do you guys think about leading? Uh, what's the what's the decision process to lead around? Well, we've just started. We just stepped up and started doing it because like Emily was saying is, you know, getting the investors aligned and not that, you know, just trying to make sure that we're aligned to protect our interests, but also aligned for, th for the company's sake as well. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely this, this middle ground to find and, and not having advantageous terms one way or the other, kind of getting things out of balance. So I think we've done seven rounds now that we've led mm -hmm. uh, for companies um, because we want to make sure the terms were right, want to make sure the documents were correct, um, just to make sure that these companies are set up for the future and not just for that moment. Mm -hmm. um, so we are, we're definitely comfortable with that stepping up and, and leading and organizing it, making sure it's good. And part of it's, you know, we've done enough times now, we've got a great legal team that's making sure that things are tight and correct um, so that everything flows through smoothly. Otherwise, like you say, they're, they're hunting for a lead, they're kind of aimless and months just go by and opportunities lost. And yep. the biggest thing is to get the capital in the door as efficiently as possible so they can get back to doing what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Got it. How about the second fund? Is there a timeline <laughs> on that? When that's coming? How much it'll be? Anything you can share? Um, <laughs> that's a good, great question. Um, um is a good answer to everything. <laughs> yes. uh, I think that you know we want to make sure that we are make this this fund is our big focus. So until we feel like this fund is set to go, that it's properly capitalized, we won't be moving on to fund two. Um, and even when we do launch fund two, it will really be just to complement fund one, so that they will be very synergistic in their relationships. So. Got it, got it. Very so I cool. know that's not a clear answer, but it's partially It's completely unclear, but it's yeah. mostly the one I expected, yeah. so no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Shifting gears a little bit here, I love to ask people that do really important things during the day that with cannabis about how they like to consume cannabis. Mm -hmm. I think we did this about a year ago too, but mm -hmm. I'm curious, like anything new that you're smoking on, edibles, <laughs> vapes, what do, you, what do you like? What are you, what are you into? Um, well, I'm still an Evo user. Um, yeah, me too. I mean, it's just, yeah. it just works. It yeah. does a great job. I'm so ready so for V2 though. Same here. I'm V2. so excited. Yeah, it's very excited. So we just excited. saw some yeah. Sneak peeks of it. Yeah, Eric did too. Eric went to a little testing thing. It was pretty nice. cool, yeah. I didn't get to do that. Uh, well, they're <laughs> keeping the good stuff for you. They're keeping the good stuff you. Know, really <laughs> like, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so that's, I, and you know, I guess I'm... And flowers or concentrates? The nail or... Still like flower. Me too. Um, I like the basket. I don't I do not do yeah. the Vapex nail too much. Only when Sabo's there and like, you know, yeah. he rips my face off. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different story. Uh, how about you, Emily? 
I've been really into, um, there are a couple of strains, so it's been more flower focused, but it, it's this really great um, mix of a high CBD, but it still has a, a little bit of THC in it. So it's not one of those ones that's almost no THC. Like eight to one. Or yeah, something like exactly. That, yeah. So those have been things that I've been really enjoying because it does, from a health standpoint, feel very beneficial to me. So, and I'm, I'm really bummed because I can't remember the name of any of them, but one of them was from this place up in Oregon called Pharma, and it's like F-A-R-M-A. Okay. And I was really impressed by that, which was my first Oregon experience. Got so, it, what yeah. did you like about it? What was so great about it? I just thought it was really well balanced, and, and I did, I felt really healthy for having consumed it, which was really nice, um, because I do consume it for health reasons too. Mm -hmm. um, so it was nice to have something I felt was very effective. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure to see you guys. Honestly, the gold standard and what I think is the early angel investing fund, whatever we want to call it. Uh, you were the place to go to get money. I commend you for not being one of these bullshit investors out there that talks and kicks a lot of times, writing checks and leading rounds now, which is so necessary as well. Plug some stuff. Everybody knows where to find you, I think. Anything you want to plug here? Emails, websites, anything like that? Yeah, PoseidonAssetManagement.com. Uh, we're at Poseidon Asset on Twitter, which is pretty uh, regularly updated. And same with Facebook. And uh, yeah. And, and LinkedIn. And LinkedIn. I, I do the LinkedIn. That's, uh, that's why you can tell the social media quality of LinkedIn versus Twitter. I'm mad at LinkedIn. They're not as good. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, interesting but. about LinkedIn, I actually was just able to successfully boost a post about cannabis on LinkedIn, and I was shocked by wow. this, because all the other networks are like, it's impossible, I get denied almost daily. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I don't know exactly what happened there, but I gotta follow up on that a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe there's hope for LinkedIn. That is really exciting. Yeah. yeah, one of the things we've just been posting about is uh, one of my colleagues from New York did mm -hmm. a uh, consumer insights study with a quantitative survey and then also in-home ethnographies to understand the modern cannabis consumer. Oh wow, okay. And how they're seeking uh, this more, This it's actually more about being having acute awareness of what's happening in your life and open-mindedness and not kind of going after the things that potentially the stereotypes had so long solidified in our minds about it. But um, I think they might be doing something interesting with Gateway's radar. Ah, which, yeah. Uh, so we've the been posting it about that. new research deal here at Gateway, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's a really exciting new wave um, for investors to really understand what these new market segments are really going to look like and also to kind of demystify it for product companies and growers and it really will impact the whole ecosystem. So that's one of the things we've been posting a lot about. So. Awesome. Well, great to see you guys. You Thanks for yes, doing it again. You. And uh, let's maybe not make it a year next time. Let's do maybe in a few months or so. Let's when Fun 2 comes, yeah. so let me know. We'll oh, give you yeah. the exclusive. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I can't ask for better than that. <laughs> 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 Done. Done, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. So many people will be shocked to know that unlike most podcasts and web shows, investing in cannabis can't spend any money on advertising. All of the major social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, they're publicly traded companies. And as long as cannabis is federally illegal, still a Schedule One drug, they will not let us spend any money on their platform. What does this mean for you? Why should you give a shit? You should give a shit because if you care about cannabis, if you like this show, if you want other people to be informed in the same way, then you gotta share it. You gotta show it to somebody else. Because that's the only way they're gonna find out about it.